Welcome to the Economy of Wellbeing podcast. I'm your host, Mark Anielski. I'm thrilled to have Paul Dunny join me from Dublin, Ireland. Paul is an instrumental person in the digital media world with Independent IE, which is the largest digital media platform in Ireland. They also publish and are, have an online platform in Belfast. They're owned by MediaHoose out of, out of Belgium, a consortium that owns a number of newspapers. Paul reached out to me uh, several weeks ago, interested in whether I might want to conduct or could conduct a well-being and happiness survey for Ireland through their newspaper. I jumped at the idea and actually felt that it was probably a long shot that his superiors were to approve of such a project, but they did. And we ran the survey, one of the most comprehensive surveys of its kind, with uh, questions on subjective well-being, mental, physical, spiritual, and emotional, and questions about what you love about where you live and things you'd like to see improved in your life. This was conducted in April and May uh, with a tremendous response rate, about 2,500 people responded to our little survey. Uh, we produced a really interesting personal well-being profile report back to the respondents, which was the first time I've ever done that in, in my work. Uh, Paul and I talk about the experience, what we learned from it, and why we think this is kind of the a new frontier in measuring well-being, especially when you have the private sector involved in uh, and interested in why well-being is important to uh, understanding our lives and the economy and what makes us truly happy. I hope you enjoy this conversation with Paul Dunny from Dublin, Ireland. So well, welcome, Paul Paul Dunny, to the Economy Wellbeing Podcast. Uh, you're my 87th guest, I think, in a, uh, a very much, roaring series of uh, amazing conversations. Uh, so you, you reached out to me, I think, on LinkedIn, and you're with Independent... Uh, uh, media in Ireland, in Dublin. And um, I think you asked me whether I, uh, you know, I, I could do a well-being survey for, for Ireland on, on behalf of your, your newspaper or media house and, and tell me how that actually happened and what, what attracted you to the idea of, you know, serving well being. Well, I actually came across you um, through a book called the new possible. Oh, okay. Um, you were written yes. a piece in there or a short right. story in there uh, about well-being. And I suppose it's something that's probably close to my heart um, in terms of trying to understand people's values. There's moments the values revolve a lot around money. Um, and we know from some of the citizens' assemblies that we've had in Ireland that that's not necessarily true to people's hearts. Mm. And so... The environment, um, the Fifth Amendment around um, same-sex marriage, the, these kind of things are, are very important to our people when they went to the Citizens' Assembly. And in the way you can see it through the general elections in Ireland, um, the biggest issue was around housing, uh, health and education. So, so they all kind of contribute towards, towards well-being. Um, the, the numbers, the GDP numbers were saying the economy was doing well, there's plenty of money in the in the economy and in the country, but it wasn't spilling out to, to all the people. Mm. And so I suppose it, it'd be nice to be able to measure that and report on that and see what's really happening with people. And I was speaking with uh, Mark Odie 
who uh, is my boss in uh, in Media House Ireland, and we we thought this would be a nice thing to to try just to uh, assess the well being of our readers, from mm. what about Fast Telegraph and uh, Independent.ie. So I suppose that's how I came to you, Mark. Um, so your name, you look at you are an, are an expert in this. So uh, yeah, no better <laughs> place to start. <laughs> Well, you've, you've now, with where we have 2,400 respondents to the survey, which was completely voluntary. Uh, uh, what, what did you, um, uh, first of all, what's, what's your position with Independent? I am the head of retention and CRM with, with Independent. Oh. Well, the Media House Ireland. Independent is just a brand within Media House Ireland. Yeah. So they, the results aren't official yet, but they will be out in, soon in a report. Um, what what do you what did you find intriguing about what we what you found in terms of north versus south and um, distribution of well being uh, across counties? Uh, what are your kind of personal ahas or insights or learnings? Um, I thought that the the main kind of callouts as both north and south uh, for kind of different communities, if you like, were were quite similar in that children. And family were very important to people's well-being and, and happiness. Mm. Nature, nature was was very high as well, and and health, and that was kind of commonplace across both communities, mm-hmm. um, which I thought was was great. Um, these are the things that are important to our readers. Um, are we, I suppose, as a media company and the, the largest private media company in Ireland, are we talking about those things that are important? Um, are writing about those things that are important to readers enough I suppose ultimately I don't know I don't know if we are or not um, we, we need to, to figure it out a little bit more in terms mm-hmm. of differences in counties yeah I did, didn't see any kind of strong trends you can see yeah maybe the urban areas are not as happy um, is that connected to less nature than you would have in rural areas given it's such an important concept um, looking at the average um wage or mm. amount of money people earn in each county so you can see money isn't necessarily a contributor to well-being there's obviously a certain level and we kind of see that in a lot of studies where yeah above that doesn't make you much much more happy and once you have enough to to live comfortably and have a decent life people the the index in terms of increased well-being doesn't really seem to move that much and that, yeah. that reinforced that for me so Donegal came up quite a happy place um, yeah, relative like income relative to uh, well-being was the highest, right? That ratio, and which I always yeah. find intriguing to try to demonstrate. Can you what's who's getting the highest value or well-being for for every dollar or, or pound, euro, whatever of income? Yeah. yeah, but I don't think we got to the place where we could say Donegal is the happiest place to live in Ireland or the best place to live in Ireland. Um, I don't think we could ever get to that. Um, I think it's a happiness and well-being is. Kind of state of mind as well. Truly, I mean, for me as a, as an analyst looking at the data, I found the the gap between any county was relatively small. I mean, uh, you might expect rural communities maybe slightly happier. Um, one of the things that that I found intriguing was the the difference between uh, trust in government um, and how low it was in the north. Maybe that's not surprising to people living in Belfast, but uh, but um, I found that intriguing and, and, and one, one analyst suggested, well, maybe that, that's an interesting reflection as uh, people who, who have lower le- 
levels of trust in government may actually feel a stronger sense of self-determination, right? That they, they pursue their own happiness in spite of governments uh, who supposedly are providing, you know, providing the basis for the pursuit of happiness. So uh, any reflections on, on that? Yeah, th- that was a very interesting um, thing that, that, that it appeared because of the research. Um, and it's not something I would have expected actually. Um, because when you here in Northern Ireland, and we have a team in Belfast, there's, there's lots of issues, if you like, happening up there that you think is going to impact your, your, your happiness and your well-being, whether it's bonfires being burned, segregation <laughs> of schools between different religions, um, and there's obviously all the legacy issues as well. Um, but the fact that people seem to be able to cope and get on and just live their own lives and get back to what's really important to them, which mm. is, as I said, nature appeared an awful lot in, up in Northern Ireland. So nature, family, health. Yeah. People seem to have that. They are, they are happy regardless of how bad their government was. And I suppose it's, it's not like in it's Palestine not surprising. or something like that. You know, ratings for politicians is always the lowest index. And no matter where I'm serving, it doesn't matter with Tahiti or Canada, or, you know, it's, they're the least trusted in society. I think firemen are the yeah. most trusted, right? Or something, yeah. but maybe journalists too. <laughs> I think so. I don't know. Actually, th- th- there was a survey on that uh, very recently about um, trust in journalism um, and uh, independently was coming up near the top in Ireland. So, wow, nice. Yeah, people do trust uh, the brand, which is which is a value, I suppose, we have to practice and um, believe in as well. Yeah. So, so speaking about brand and, and like what, and why would it be of interest to your, your senior management and editorial board to conduct the survey other than, you know, building uh, building brand or, or increasing your readership? Like what, what do you think is the, the, what's, what's the next kind of piece on this in terms of maintaining relationship with your readership or with, yeah. with Irish citizens on, on well-being? Well, this is one of the things that we discussed at the start was um, look, traditionally newspapers and media was one way conversation. Here's the news. This is our take on it. Take it or leave it. Yeah. Um, but over the last 10, 15 years, things have changed, particularly social media, smartphones. People like to have a two way conversation about everything. Right. Um, so I suppose we're trying to. We're not, not, I suppose media isn't never going to turn into social media, but it's nice to have a two-way conversation with our readers and understand what is important to them. Mm-hmm. So we're, we're close to being on the pulse of the nation. We try and meet our readers' needs. So I suppose traditionally journalism is uh, one of the pillars, four pillars of democracy um, mm-hmm. and holding power to account. And unless we're very close to our readers' needs, we're, we're, we're not serving there once. So, so it's important to start that. And, and I hope this will be the first of, of many ways that we communicate. And it's not the only one, in fairness. I hope it's one of the many ways that we communicate in two-way format with our, with our readers. Right. I mean, one of the thoughts I've had is who would be most interested other than the, the National Statistical Agency or you know, the Irish Treasury Board or Bank of Ireland or something. But um, you know, I find it interesting that, it, you know, it's a media outlet that conducts the survey, but it, it may also be of great interest to b- the business community, to real estate 
agents who, you know, can, can maybe sell a home based on perceptual well-being that's higher in, uh, you know, in any given county or district of, of, of Dublin. Um, what are your thoughts on, on that kind of potential? Um, I, well, take with real estate agents, they'll, they'll, <laughs> they'll get to the garbage saying, go, they'll yeah, sell it right. in, no matter what you say. <laughs> you could be living inside a coal mine and they'll still be able to spin it as a positive. <laughs> um, I, I suppose, given the fact we, we haven't got a statistically significant um, survey, so we haven't got equal amounts from every county, mm-hmm. I don't know if um, this, our census companies will will look at it, but I think there is potential with um, uh, education bodies like universities and colleges to, to look at this kind of information, particularly geography departments, and yeah. understand the, the kind of uh, the social geography of, of the shape of the country and what are, again, as we said, what are important to people and why, and what's the difference in different parts of countries and uh, or yeah. di- different counties. I studied geography in UCD a while mm-hmm. ago, and um, social geography is one of those areas that always fascinated me. Um, what people do and why to do it and how you you plan for, for their current needs and their future needs. I think this has relevance for that. Yeah, it, for me too, an interest in you know, mapping well-being uh, geospatially, for example, uh, I think it shows a potential of, you know, you, we can create these community statistical profiles, you know, economics and other social indicators, but now you drop perceptual well-being on top of that. And you, I think you get some interesting insights and, and especially like reflecting on the open-ended questions we ask, like, what do you, what do you love about where you live? Right. What, what areas of life would you like to improve? I think those, those responses were very rich and insightful. Uh, and we've only touch you know touch the service i know we identify the happiest uh man in northern ireland and, and the republic and they have an interesting reason for their happiness but uh yeah i i, I find that data very interesting to uh to ponder the qualitative i, I love that as well it paints paints a picture for you of, of what people think um, and there's a few real memorable quotes in there that people talking about their dog yeah, um, <laughs> as long as their partner wife head of their dog, you know, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it does make you laugh. But look, that's those are things that are important to people, and I think that those conversations are happening more and more. Um, you know, I've my old employee in the UK, Morrison's, have moved to a four day a week, uh, which I thought was brilliant. Yeah, <laughs> I've I've heard lots of conversations about um, a universal basic income. And I think people's mindset is, is changing a little. Um, and I think that this is part of that in a small way. Um, we are seeing it's not all about money. It's not all about stuff and buying things. There, there's a lot more important things to, to life, you know, and, and your life's, you know, you, you're only on here for a certain amount of time and you, we end up putting most of our energy and hours into work. So for some lucky people, that's, that's what makes them happy. But um there's an awful lot more to life as well that people can enjoy. Yeah. I mean, for me, this survey verified yet again that the economics are relationships and that relationships are the key thing, whether it's with nature or with each other. And one of the results I found absolutely fascinating, that like the, the top rated inde- indicator wasn't life satisfaction. It was feeling comfortable in your neighborhood in spite of religion, race, and, and gender. And I thought, wow, I mean, for Ireland, like, you know, maybe for Canada, but to have you respond so highly about 
feeling comfortable in your in your place in your neighborhood and your communities was really a, to me a beautiful affirmation and sign of hope for for Ireland which we see is always sort of in conflict you know <laughs> so. yeah and look, there's obviously the, the historic issues and but then in the last 20 years Ireland has had more proportionally more net immigration than any other country in the EU so roughly about 20 percent of the population mm. um, haven't been born in Ireland and uh, moved here so the fact that people that integration seems to be happening happening and people are comfortable in their communities is a it's a great compliment that doesn't really doesn't really get flagged it only ever gets flagged when it's an issue it never gets flagged when it, when it's working well well so, I think that's a reflection is you know you, you could say the media is always fixated on bad news you know when I turn on CBC in the morning, my body literally gets ready for, right? They always start with the worst news often, right? There's a fire yeah. here or someone died here. Or like there's another war over here. And I said, not that we should just start with happiness news items, but uh, it would be kind of fun to think, well, what if people just, what if the media actually reported some well-being stories for a change that gets people, not, not that we have rose-colored glasses, just no, I, I agree. We're, 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 it's very easy to be critical. And you could see that particularly with the, way the COVID crisis has been handled in Ireland. And it's been handled fairly well. In fairness, it's been, mm-hmm. the death count is fairly low. Um, but we're very, very cautious about opening up compared to other EU countries. Um, and it's almost like politicians are afraid to make, um, make a mistake because you're, you're crucified or your trials via social media and you never win. So it's, you'll never win. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And like that, that's not media. That's just the modern yeah. world, isn't it? It's social media. It's a, uh, yeah. you know, you, you cannot win. Yeah. And we're, that's, no, you can't win with this. I mean, a virus is, you know, I would say it'll be with us and the virus has been with us forever. So, well, uh, you've endured the potato famine and worse things. So you'll, uh, you'll get through that. We'll get through this somehow. Please God, yeah. Please God. Yeah, please God. <laughs> uh, a question for you. I, I, I remember coming back from a meeting with the Bhutanese prime minister in New York in 2012 and, uh, and thinking, gosh, we're, and he encouraged the world to, world leaders to try to advance this well being and happiness agenda. And then I got asked to be on, on the uh, RT's uh, crosstalk show, RT's Russian television. And, oh yeah, uh, Chris Lavalle asked me to come in uh, to that to a chat with two British economists, and um, and of course, you know, classic media. You're in this little, you're in a chair in a media booth in Edmonton, and you can't see anything. You're just listening to the voice, of, you know, through the headset. But yeah. uh, one of the economists, you know, because it's called crosstalks, so people are like supposed to be throwing stuff at each other and. Uh, but there was the one economist was rather cynically said, Oh, you know, what's the point of measuring happiness? Like, you know, it, it doesn't really, it isn't it self-evident what you're going to find and, and who cares? Right. I mean, uh, what, what, what are your feelings about why this matters or why asking these questions actually matters Is the subjective aspects of measuring? I think um, I'm reading the book at the moment um, by, guy called Jeremy Lent, um, The Web of Meaning. And he's talked a lot about happiness. Um, 
and people being happy and happy and, and ultimately not just people but everybody within nature and uh, how we live and you know looking forward and looking back um, and I suppose like at the moment we everything is fairly linear in terms of how it's measured so we measure GDP we measure money that kind of thing um, and there's a very short-termist approach because people are extracting out of the commons if you like so if you're basically if you're on a large trawler you're sucking up all the fish in the sea that in, in reality are a shared commons and mm-hmm. um, likewise all the historic knowledge that mankind has built up over millennia is is a commons as well but there's a small number of people or, or large corporations that are kind of skewing this and they are causing an imbalance because they are basically taking all the fish or they are pumping most of the CO2 into the atmosphere and everyone else is suffering as a result. Mm. One of the reasons they're doing that is because the only thing they care about, the only things their shareholders care about is the bottom line. Um, so if we continue to only focus on the bottom line, we're, we're not going to end up in a good place. Whereas if we start measuring other things and try and um, change the agenda in terms of there's more things that we need to measure it's not just money it's quality of life it's the mm. the state of the environment it's the state of the natural world and um, it's something we all share but we if we can bring that in as well as part of i suppose ultimately it's going to be big corporations um objectives um we'll have we'll, we'll all have a better quality of life uh, across man, humankind and across all nature i think mm. you, you can see it starting in a lot of places across the world as people are able to talk to each other across uh, across the web um, and, and people are becoming more educated by and large. I think these things are becoming more important and the value of just the monetary value, which is going to smaller hands, is is starting to rear its ugly head. Mm. Yeah, that's a really interesting reflection because that's what I mean. That's my next pursuit is to imagine a almost a new kind of block you know i'm going to use big words like blockchain and uh a crypto kind of currency system where well-being is is actually the bottom the new bottom line right and and Mm. we're what are we doing we're transacting time amongst each other units of time and if there's a common aspiration is, is it not for the for the betterment of my neighbor or you know or or simply better the word better is so simple um but 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 you know you think about uh, what if there was a a well-being economy where the pursuit of happiness or well-being is is shared there's a shared responsibility in a truly sovereign system where each of us is co-responsible for for the use of our time and the effect the impact we have on others right that changes the entire economic paradigm, um, even the, the relationship with money. So, those, and I, I think the vast majority of people will be for that. Um, like we always hear about the dog eat dog world or the selfish gene and all this kind of stuff, but that doesn't have been proven not to exist. We're, we're a species that thrives on cooperating with each other. Absolutely. But there is a small number of people that don't, that kind of like narcissists or whatever that um, are have low empathy and basically are in it for themselves. And yeah. it has been shown that kind of people, business leaders, there's, there's a much higher proportion <laughs> of, of that kind of person there. And, yeah. and we all know it. Um, but but the, the minority kind of rules the economic system, right? It's, uh, 
it's I would say it's, there's only a few true sociopaths and, and narcissists, but they seem to dominate the, the economic systems and, and create, you know, they've created this kind of mythology of scarcity when in fact, I, I know as an economist, there's just abundance and, and relationships are what, what matters uh, in, in the economic relation, in, in the economic paradigm. So uh, you're absolutely right. It's like, so we're, maybe we're, we're moving towards a tipping point uh, or. Uh, I hope so. Um, I was reading about Exxon Mobil, uh, the oil company and the way they're hiding or supporting anti-climate change agenda and hiding scientific research to carried out themselves. Um, you know, it's very worrying that there's still people there that are, are they're still doing that. Um, the change yeah. isn't happening quick enough. That's right. Yeah. No, it's not happening quick enough, but it's, uh, so what, what if, um, I was asked the, my, you know, ref, final reflections, what, what gives you, what gives you hope, uh, in your life or your professional life, um, for Ireland, big picture stuff, uh, post in a post pandemic, or maybe a, maybe it'll be just a chronic pandemic economy. I don't know. Uh, yeah. No, I think what gives me hope and this speaking to colleagues and friends and um, things, things have definitely changed. Um, a lot of us were spending quite a bit of time commuting you need to be in the office for like, it's kind of a culture across a lot of companies about presenteeism. Um, but I think that has changed. We have finally realized as a business that yeah, we, we can work remotely. We can work digitally. We can mm-hmm. work from Spain if you happen to go out to Spain. And um, that, that has so much benefit to... Like your boss. I'm just kidding. <laughs> yeah, but my, my boss is in, in the Alps and I have a in colleague that was... And that's okay, right? That's, you know, yeah, like, another one in Tenerife and someone else in Valencia. Uh, <laughs> but then, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm here in Grey Ireland. Grey Ireland. But, uh, <laughs> <laughs> it's great, though. People have more time. This guy that works for me plays a lot of Gaelic football. He's delighted now he can get, get to training for around 6 p.m. He's loving it. Um, you, you know, talk about the quality of life, people's quality of life has improved wow. somewhat because, because of this. Um, and, and our company has been quite forward and are looking towards a shared working model um, in terms of part in the office, part working at home when things settle down, which I think is, is very exciting. Fantastic. And I think it's the first of, of a hopefully many steps to creating a better work-life balance for, for people. Yeah. Wow. That's, that's a really great reflection. There, there is a, there, that has been a, really positive thing from COVID and it's not being easy, but uh, just realizing, yeah, I can, I mean, I've been working from home for 20 years, so it's not, nothing new for me. In fact, yeah. I, I didn't have to travel anymore. So that was kind of nice uh, sitting in airports and it's like, that's, that's tough. And, yeah. and, and the other thing is that the way, um, but this happened nearly in every country. It's the way um, people came together. So they, they locked down, they, capped their, their liberties they didn't travel we, we, we were locked down to two kilometers for a long time and then the response to the government in terms of and it's cost a lot of money but the setup in terms of vaccinating or vaccinating people has been it's quite overwhelming when i went to my vaccination <clears throat> big massive setup hundreds and hundreds of people employed and this mm-hmm. is repeated all over the country i just thought well, we, like it's great to be part of a society that'll do that for its people mm-hmm. um, 
and you know it shows that the, the change that can be made when my, uh, people's minds and resources are put towards it so that's to me that's uh, a very it's a great positive it shows what's You're possible right. it does show what's possible and that's what gives me hope too is like look what happens when there when there's a global crisis and when we we do respond in kindness and love and hopefully uh, compassion and uh, there, there, there's of course that are cynical about what's happening, but um, yeah, I think it's a, it's a wonderful sign of our humanity and our, yeah, our, our ability to remain resilient. Um, yeah, resilient to get back. We'll work around this. So, I, I do hope we can, we can apply that learning and that energy to other crises, like like it was as we mentioned around climate change and biodiversity and that kind of thing. I. I Really hope we can turn the focus towards that very soon. Wow. Well, thanks, Paul, for for being my guest. And um, just to say that, wow, I think Ireland, for me at least, I mean, I'm sure there's others who, who could claim this, but I think you're the first country that's um, conducted such a comprehensive well-being assessment uh, beyond what the World Happiness Poll um, typically does. And we've really captured, I think, even in the Celtic spirit of you know, one of the things I've said is my, my survey tool is based on uh, an indigenous uh, worldview of the human being, mental, physical, spiritual, emotional, which kind of looks like the Celtic cross in a way too. So I think there's some uh, great residual wisdom there uh, from your Celtic roots that are worth contemplating. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, reading a bit about Celtic roots, their, their laws are very different and they had a deep respect for for nature it let yeah. things you know the wolf was kind of greatly admired in ireland um, ah. and was just let live you know there was no <laughs> there was no urge to exterminate them or anything like that so um, great appreciation for nature and i think that that obviously comes across in with um yeah with indigenous, indigenous people. people here yeah um and um i think yeah maybe that's all cultures they they had a different much different outlook to what we have now um, and I think it's the therapy worked really well in Ireland. It, it it just seemed to fit in very very easily, and the response rate we had was was really was good for such a long good. questionnaire. Yeah, for a long questionnaire without really a campaign. I mean, we um, actually that that is one more reflection I have is on uh, how interesting it was for me to learn about the effectiveness of social media, um, how to run these kind of campaigns. Uh, uh, what, it doesn't matter whether the government or your your media is like the, the interesting, you know, in, experience we had in promoting it on Facebook or in different social platforms and how you can you can actually get the sample size you need. I know we're always under men are always underrepresented in these surveys, but I thought that that was an interesting experience for me and um, the the effectiveness of these platforms. Um, yeah, it was great, and like social media was our it was our largest uh, source of people who fill in the survey after our own, after email and our homepage and the website. Mm-hmm. Um, and I suppose that it doesn't always happen with social media. I think it's uh, to seem to capture whoever's using social media at that time, I suppose maybe you're a bit more relaxed or whatever when you're using social media and this is something interesting. It's not going to be too taxing on your brain. Um, and yeah, and it's, it's, it's something it's, nice to do. Also, I don't think it says, you know, I always thought Facebook was a narcissistic kind of platform that uh, 
Now Zuckerberg did because he had a bad date night at Har- at Harvard. I think that's the story, right? You go <laughs> yeah. see what happens if if you reject, uh, you know, an Aspergerish kind of guy. You know, you'll, you'll create yeah. a monster like Facebook. Sounded <laughs> <laughs> like that. <laughs> but I, what, what well, I find interesting is that the survey questions. Um, ask very they ask personal perceptional questions of like a reflection in your mirror of and it's like you could think about gaming it and saying i i want to just there's some people i thought mm, i wonder if they just gamed it they just hit 999 across the whole thing and and i'm like liar liar i don't i don't believe it or uh so it, for me it's fascinating that people say well can't people just game it and, and just you know rate themselves awesome i said sure they could but i don't think the questions lead you to think that you're going to gain anything from not being authentic uh, in your response no i I think you're right because the the great thing about it was you fill in your survey and you got a response showing your happiness levels across whatever the 30 odd metrics versus the rest of ireland so yeah you could game it but there's no benefit of gaming it because you can't you don't know who else to fill it in you can't share it with them can't Um, sell it your data is not for sale like we we say that clearly uh we did something unique we provided every individual if they wanted a personal uh, profile Uh, yeah and i thought that was cool i mean that piece was interesting like just coding uh, writing code to generate that personal which i think is meaningful for people i hope um but you're right i mean there's no incentive to for me or anybody to sell your data or for you to, you know, use no, it in any just, kind of market. No benefit to you by skewing your results. Um, right. And we had plenty of feedback from colleagues and from people who fill it in who, who loved getting their, their personal results. I suppose that was the value exchange for most people. You got to see where you sit versus the rest of, of Ireland. Yeah. And um, which is, which is brilliant. So awesome. Well, thank you again, Paul. That was a, that was a fun conversation thank you very much mark and thank you for your help um, in, in in setting up and running this survey for us uh, it couldn't have happened without you so yeah well, much much appreciated my pleasure i i'm just thrilled that uh when i meet people like you and and your your senior management say yeah let's let's give it a go i i think when we start it was like uh <laughs> we'll, we'll wait and see what your editorial guys say <laughs> but uh I'm glad we persisted and this is a, this is a fantastic project. So thank you so much.